Take your scripture and open with me, please, to Hebrews chapter 12. Going to be continuing, kind of continuing last week's sermon, at least the theme of it. Going to be looking at verses 4, 1 through 4 in chapter 12. had a uh, pastor friend of mine uh, come and visit just for a day. I think it was Monday, Monday or Tuesday. And uh, we walked around and we went over to Bar Harbor. And it was a beautiful day. It was in the high 50s. The, the, it was really peak, right? We call it peak up here. The colors were amazing. And, and he commented, they, they commented, he and his wife, they said, where do you go for vacation?" Everything is a step down. And, you know, I had to agree. I said, yeah, in many ways, it's tough. Because we do live in an amazing spot on God's earth. And then they asked about the winters. And I told them, honestly, that the coast in Maine is, is milder. And it's really like living in, in New England anywhere. I said, except for the end of winter. The end of winter, March, you start thinking, maybe I'll get one of those, a little hint of warmth and it's not there. And and March bleeds into April and you go, certainly April. There'll be that kind of warmish day that that you go, okay, it's coming or, or winter is ending. And, and I can't say never, but in my 16 years here, rarely is there a day like that in April. And, and you begin to get weary of the weather, don't you? There's a weary, uh, weariness in where weather is concerned up here in the, in the late winter. You get frustrated with the cold and, and the ice and the snow and the shoveling. You get tired of layering up. You get weary of opening the door and the cold hitting you. You just want it to end. We really do get weary of winter up here. And you know what? That We can be like that spiritually too. You can get weary of living the Christian life. That's what Hebrews is saying right here. That Christianity is, is this marathon. It's this long distance run. Sometimes you get a, a little spiritual rock in your shoe and, and it hurts for a while. And sometimes you get elbowed by somebody during the race and you, and you get hurt. Sometimes you just get tired of running. And sometimes, like in a marathon, I've never run one, but I hear there's this wall that you hit at some mile. And you hit a, a spiritual wall. And you're really tempted to quit. Has that ever happened to you? Do you, are, do you relate to this at all? Have you ever gotten spiritually weary where you're tired of living differently than everybody around you? Where you're tired of giving up your, your, your Sunday mornings. You're tired of living under authority. 
where you're tired of constantly obeying, trying to obey and failing. Tired of doing your devotions and praying and it feeling like you're, you're just praying to the ceiling. Tired of sacrificing. Why is it always us that have to sacrifice? Tired of being the odd man out in your golf foursome. Tired of serving. Tired of putting your heart out there and loving. Have you ever said to yourself, is it all, is this all really worth it? Is it really worth it? If so, this section of scripture is for you. If you've ever been there, this section is for you. Look with me at verse 1 of chapter 12. God's word says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. Father God, I, I feel inept this morning, unprepared. So I just rest on you that you'll speak to your people. And I look to you, Spirit, to enliven these words. Help me to stay close to what I just read and apply it to our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible speaks of perseverance in two different ways. It's us proactively holding on to Christ, yet at the same time knowing that he has us all along. In other words, it's, it's us working hard and persevering, yet at the same time knowing the hard work has been completed in Christ. It's, it's us keeping our faith, knowing at the same time that our faith is kept in heaven for us, as Peter says. It's persevering, yet constantly reminding ourselves that Christ persevered on our behalf. And that's the tension that is throughout Scripture, and, and, and that's the tension that has been in the book of Hebrews since chapter 1, verse 1. It's a major theme in Hebrews. Paul wrote, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works so that you can boast. All God. In other words, and, but at the same time, it's the same Paul who wrote when Caesar, when he knew Caesar was coming for his head, he wrote this as some of his last words that we have. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Thus there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And here the writer gives us, in Hebrews, three great ways to keep fighting. 
three great ways to help us keep running that marathon when we're weary. Last week, we looked at two of them. I just want to remind us of those two. The first was we look back. That's one of the first great helps we have in our perseverance. We look back at the men and women of faith, many of which are exemplified in chapter 11. So the great therefore there in in 12 verse 1 is look back at chapter 11. Look at how faithful God was to them. And look at how they fought very hard to keep on running. Look back at all the situations they went through. Look back at the situation of Noah. Look back at the situation of Moses, he's saying. Look back at the situations of Abraham. Look back at the situation that Gideon was in and Samson, all those people that are mentioned. Look back at all the suffering they went through. He mentions some of that, how they were mocked and flogged and imprisoned. Ecclesiastes tells us that there's nothing new under the sun. Every person in this room, when they are suffering, thinks that they are suffering uniquely. And what scripture says is no. Oh, look back at other people, how they suffered. And God was faithful and they persevered. Christ was faithful to them and he will be faithful to you. So look back when you're weary. That's the first thing the author says. The second thing he says is look at yourself. Look at yourself. Examine yourself. He says examine yourself in two ways. Examine if there is any sin that is clinging so closely. Sometimes you're weary, as I said last week, because there is sin in your life that you know about that you're not dealing with. So examine yourself for, your, for sin that you're holding on to. And then secondly, the one that, that really gets people sitting up in the pews is examine yourself for any hindrances in this race. In other words, there are some good things in life that might have become ultimate things in your life, have superseded Christ in your life. And they need to be dealt with. Paul wrote, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And that is really suitable for what he is saying here. Good things can hinder your relationship with Christ. Good things that are not the best things. So examine yourself when you are weary, when you are tired, to see if there are any hindrances in your life. And then the third help that the author gives us here is that when we are spiritually tired, there is, of course, looking at Jesus. Looking at Jesus, fixing your eyes on Jesus. I actually prefer the NIV here. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I think it's more, uh, there's more meat there. This, as I said last week, is the, is the kind of all-purpose advice in the Christian life when you're weary. Because the author is telling us that what we're doing here is actually applying the gospel to your life. That's what, he's all, that's what he's saying here. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Apply the gospel to your life. When you're weary, when you're tired, when you're in difficult circumstances, apply the gospel to your life. See, many of us come to faith as Protestants, believing that it's Christ alone by grace alone through faith alone. 
But we live the rest of our life like functional Catholics. I have to do. I have to work at this. Does that make sense? We look to the gospel for our initial salvation, but then we try to work our way to heaven the rest of our lives. We try and earn it. We look to our obediences. Right? We look to how how much we're obeying. We look to fulfilling God's commands for our assurance. As I've said before, and I'll say again, the law is good, and it's a wonderful map, but the map has no power to get you up the mountain. What has the power to get you there is the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The same gospel that saves you is the exact same gospel that empowers you to persevere in this life. A wonderful Puritan John Owen wrote this, A constant view of the glory of Christ will revive our souls and cause our spiritual lives to flourish and thrive. Don't we all want that? Don't you want your spiritual life to flourish and thrive? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Apply the gospel to your life. So the author is encouraging those persecuted Jewish believers who were so weary, that's the, that's the audience that the author of Hebrews is writing to, he's, he's encouraging them to behold Christ, look to Christ. Yes, look back. Yes, look at yourselves. But ultimately, fix your eyes on Jesus. To you and me who are reading this 2,000 years later when we grow weary from time to time in our, in our marathon. When we have a rock in our shoe or somebody's elbowed us or we've hit the wall. Fix your eyes on Christ. Apply the gospel to your lives. And God's word is exceedingly practical here. He, he's, he tells us how to do this in four ways. Four ways to apply the gospel to your life. And the first one is to look to Jesus, the author of your faith. All right, that's, that's right here in, in verse 2. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith, the founder, the author. The Greek here for founder or author quite literally means Pioneer or founder of our faith. He in other words, he initiates our faith. In other words, when you're struggling, when you're frustrated, when you're tired, tired and weary of putting one foot spiritually in front of the other, remember the gospel. Remember what Christ has done for you. Look back at what Jesus went through so that you could be his son or daughter. This is a discipline of the Christian life. It's a very actually basic discipline of the Christian life. Don't pull yourself out of the pit. Look to Jesus who has already pulled you out of the pit. So remember, very practically speaking, when you're tired and weary, when you're suffering in difficult circumstances, Remember when, when you're suffering and, and trying to resist the sin that so, so easily ensnares you? Remember 
that Jesus did resist. That he was tempted in every way, as Hebrews 4 says, but yet was without sin. He was tempted by greed and lust and tyrannical power. Just imagine being Jesus, being taken to the top of the temple, and Satan himself tempting you by saying, It's all yours. It's all yours. Just bow down and worship me. How easy it would have been. He was tempted by anger and pride and depression. Have you ever thought about that? He was tempted by depression. If you're depressed, imagine what Jesus went through when his own people rejected him. Imagine what Jesus went through that night in Gethsemane when, when the soldiers came with torches and, and they all scattered. The purpose here is to reflect on what he went through so that you would have this perfect righteousness. He lived righteously so that we could have his righteousness. That's a good thing to meditate on. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's awesome. Fix your eyes on Jesus and remember that he endured the cross. He not only lived a perfect life, but he endured the cross. It says right here. When you're weary, fix your eyes on the work of the cross. He loved you so much that he was willing to lay down on that cross. And as we just sang, have the, you know, it says that the, we just sang that the soldiers held him down. I don't think the soldiers held him down. I think that he laid down. And he kept his arm there when the, when the, one of the, Roman soldiers missed and hit his hand. Extra biblical. He stepped into the wrath of God for you and for me. So when, when your sciatica flares up, fix your eyes on Christ, the author of your faith. And preach the gospel to yourself with every, every wave of pain. Remember the pain that Jesus went through for you. Very practical, applying the gospel to your life. When you're mocked for your faith in high school, when you're always the odd person out, fix your eyes on Jesus. And remember the mocking he went through on the cross. Yeah, if you're the Christ, why don't you come down off the cross and we'll worship you. When your cross gets too heavy to bear, fix your eyes on Jesus who struggled to carry his cross up to Golgotha, but did. Fix your eyes on the things like this. When you lose your job, fix your eyes on Jesus 
who lost his life for you. If your life troubles, all your life troubles are opportunities to preach the gospel to yourself. It's exactly what Jesus taught the two disciples on the road to Emmaus that day. Do you remember that? In the end of Luke 24, Jesus died, tomb empty, disciples scatter. They say, well, this, I guess this wasn't the guy. And two of them were walking on the road to Emmaus, and, and unbeknownst to them, Jesus came. And he began to walk with them, and they told him, well, we, we thought this guy from Nazareth was it, but he, they killed him, and I guess not. And we've just spent the better part of three years of our life wasted uh, do you remember what Jesus did? It says he he went back and expounded from the Old Testament, the Moses and all the prophets. It's shorthand for all, the whole Old Testament, where that the Messiah had to suffer and die and then be glorified. What was he doing there? Depressed disciples fixing their eyes on him. He's just modeling it there for us. The scripture tells us that after he was there with him and then disappeared, he opened their eyes and their hearts, it said, burned within them. And what did they do? They made a beeline back to Jerusalem to encourage the rest of the disciples. Result of fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author of your faith. We're also told here, though, to apply the gospel in a second way, which is to apply the gospel, look to Jesus, the perfecter of your faith. Not just the author, but he's also the perfecter of your faith. And here is the great exhale for those poor, persecuted Jewish Christians that were reading this letter for the first time, I'm sure. The author, but he's also the perfecter. And that's the great exhale for us too. Jesus not only saves us, he ensures that we get to the finish line. He guarantees that you and I will actually make it to the end of the race. We have to constantly remind ourselves of the great and comforting doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. That doctrine, we should soak ourselves in it. That doctrine in the Bible says that he who began a good work in you will complete it. Philippians 1.6 The Savoy Declaration or Creed states it this way, They whom God has accepted as his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his Spirit, those people can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace but shall certainly persevere to the end and be eternally saved. That's the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. In other words, God, by his power through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, keeps and preserves believers to the end. That is great news for us. It doesn't negate that you should, you should hold tight to Christ, that you should persevere yourself and work hard to do so. 
And Paul at one point in his letters says, you know, I don't, I don't run as a man that is running in no direction or beat the air. You know, he disciplines himself. That's what we should be doing. It doesn't negate that. But the doctrine of perseverance of the saints says, I've got you. And you're not going anywhere. You can't even jump out. Isn't that an exhale? Especially at times where you're weary, when you're tired, in difficult circumstances that we all go through. That's not to say that a true believer can't backslide or fall into some serious sin. It's not to say that. You just have to look at some of the greatest people in the Bible to know that. Look at Abraham who pimped out his wife twice. Look at Samson who was, who was terribly wayward sexually. Look at Moses who after leaving God's presence struck the rock in anger and disbelief. Or David. Adultery, murder, list is endless. But I fully expect to see each and every one of those people in heaven. R.C. Sproul says, True Christians can have radical and serious falls, but never total and final falls from grace. That's the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. And that's what Christ says. He will always sustain us to the end. Pastor Stuart Oliott tells about an experience he had in high school with his gym teacher. He says, It's been 50 years since I left high school, but my memory of Tom Clamp my gym teacher, are as fresh as ever. He spent his early years as a sergeant's instructor in the army, ensuring that the troops were in tip-top physical condition. In the middle of his life, he switched to be a gym teacher. And he imposed military standards on us teenage boys, he writes. He never asked us to do anything easy. Every lesson was hard, and sometimes there were tears. And yet, we loved him. To his very bones, he says. One year, Mr. Clamp entered us in a long-distance cross-country race. As we ran the difficult course, he would keep popping up in key places to spur us on. To this day, he writes, I don't know how he did it. Not only so, but when we got to the finish, there he was again, encouraging us through the final yards, welcoming us as we snapped the tape, and congratulating us afterwards. It's kind of a picture of what Jesus does in our life, isn't it? Christ enters, not only enters us into the race, Christ is certainly there to welcome us at the end of the race. But he, he does more than just pop up and encourage us along the way. When we're weary, and we preach the gospel to ourselves. He accompanies us spiritually along the whole race. Sustaining us, encouraging us, giving us spiritual power at times to go through. And guaranteeing that we will finish. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. We have to remember that. Third thing, 
he encourages us to do is apply the gospel to our lives by looking to Jesus, the example of our faith. The example of our faith. Look at verse 3 with me. It says, Consider him, that is Christ, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. Last week I told the story of uh, Caldwell and Georgeson who scaled the Don Wall for the first time at Yosemite a couple years ago. They were pioneers. They were the first people that did it. And they are the example to all those who go after them on how to scale the Don Wall. Just as Jesus is our example of how to run the Christian race. Our reading today, I hope you you are aware when we're doing our, our readings, all this is funneling to the preached word of God. We read 1 Peter 2.21, and we read, For this you have been called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, that you might follow in his footsteps. When reviled, he did not revile in return. When suffered, he did not threaten, but continued to entrust himself to the one who judges justly. See, everybody who's ever lived and has ever ran the Christian life has run it imperfectly, except for Jesus. Perfectly. He scaled that dawn wall perfectly. And we should, as Richard Phillips writes, pour over the Gospels again and again to see how Jesus did it. Now, hear me correctly. Jesus is not only our example. No. But he is, at the very least, an example for us to follow. He's so much more, but he's an example. For example, when we know that standing for truth will have repercussions in our lives, we should look to Jesus. We should fix our eyes on Jesus. What did Jesus do when he knew that saying this truth was going to get him into trouble? And sometimes he willingly walked into it. As Jesus did when he entered Jerusalem for that final time. He knew that they were going to kill him. Just like Paul was following in Jesus' footsteps when he was making his way to Jerusalem. And all the churches along the way are going, Paul, don't go. Don't go. They're going to kill you. And he says, no, I'm going. He was following in Jesus' footsteps. Our flesh naturally wants to avoid these hardships. But Jesus' example teaches us that sometimes we're not to walk away from it, but to walk into it. Like standing up for the unborn. If you do that publicly, you're walking into it. Like standing up for biblical marriage between a man and a woman. If you do that publicly, you're walking into it. Like standing up for male and female genders. If you stand for that publicly, you're going to walk into it. Like standing for the exclusivity of Christ. It's Christ alone. If you, if you speak those things, 
You're going to walk into it. But you're following in good footsteps. In Christ's footsteps. Sometimes he's our example on when to be silent, too. You ever read the Gospels and go, why didn't Jesus speak up when he was being accused all night? Sometimes you don't speak. Sometimes he's our example of crying out in agony, like on the cross. Sometimes he's our example of asking for help, like he did in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, I can't do this alone. Sometimes he's our example of how to face death. Jesus' last words were, into, into your hands I commit my spirit. My mind wandered this week as I was preparing to Pat Lewis, how she faced death the last couple of years of her life as cancer slowly whittled away at her. She faced death well, with faith in Christ. So preach the gospel to yourself. And consider how Jesus endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and faint-hearted. But lastly, we preach the gospel to ourselves by looking at Jesus beyond our suffering. Look to Jesus beyond our suffering. Look at verse 2 again. Verse 2 tells us, Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Those are, that last sentence is important. It's a way we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Part of how Jesus endured the suffering that he was going through was by looking beyond it. Let me say that again. How he endured that, going into that suffering, is by looking at the joy beyond it. The joy of being seated at God's right hand. The joy of being with his Father again. That's what we're told to do all over Scripture, isn't it? When, when, when the weight of life presses in. I mean, think of James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, using the same word. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. How? How can I consider it joy, pure joy? What does James teach us in the following verse? Because this suffering will develop perseverance and perseverance is going to finish its work so that you may be complete and mature, not lacking anything. In other words, yeah, it's tough now. Look beyond it at the maturity, at at the faith that you'll have after you get out of this. Remember Stephen when he was being stoned in Acts 7? You know, after, after really putting it to the Sanhedrin and the high priest, you know, calling them stiff-necked people, referring back to the golden calf. They drug, dragged him out to be stoned. And you remember how Christ encouraged him. the vision of him at the right hand of God. Stephen, I know you're weary. I know this is a tough spot. Look beyond it. 
And when we're weary at running our race, we need to preach this gospel to ourselves. And it's one that is not preached too often to ourselves. We need to recall the joy set before us, how it's going to be. Jesus, being with Jesus in heaven. Brothers and sisters, this world and its history are preludes and a foretaste. All the sunrises and sunsets, all the symphonies and rock concerts, all the feasts and friendships are but whispers of what will be. A prologue to the grander story of an even better place. And it will never end. Do you fix your eyes on Jesus in heaven? G.I. Packer wrote, Hearts on earth say in the course of a joyful experience, I don't want this to end. Have you ever said that? Oh, I wish this would never end. You know, I, I, I tell my wife from time to time, you know, we're kind of in this sweet spot with our family. You know, we have a high school to 11 years old. You don't have to deal with diapers, and they're not gone yet, you know? And it's like they're self-sufficient, and it's, it's, it's great, and you can talk to them like adults. And this is the I don't want this part of my life to end. Jay Packer goes on and says, hearts in heaven will say, I want this to go on forever, and it will. That's how we fix our eyes on Jesus in heaven. When you become weary, look to Christ in heaven. When you become tired of doing the same old, same old, look to Christ in heaven. When you're tempted to slow down in your race, look to Christ in heaven. When you're tempted to quit, I'll raise my hand. Yeah. Look to Christ in heaven. Ever since he was a kid, Bob Goff had dreamed about sailing across the Pacific to Hawaii. So in 2016, Bob and his four buddies entered the Trans-Pac sailing race from Los Angeles to Hawaii. With limited sailing skill and knowing very little about navigation, Bob and his friends loaded their 35-foot sailboat with canned chili and bottles of water and sailed to Hawaii. After 16 harrowing days at sea, Bob and his buddies finally crossed the finish line. I want you to hear what Bob wrote about this experience. He says, there's a tradition in the Transpac race that no matter when you finish the race, even if it's two in the morning, when you pull into the marina in Oahu, there's a guy that announces the name of the boat and the first and last name of the crew. He says, it's the same guy that's been doing this for decades. Just when we came to the end of our supplies, we crossed the finish line. It was a few hours before dawn, and suddenly the silence was broken by a booming voice over the loudspeaker announcing the name of our tiny boat. Then he started to announce the names of our ragtag crew like he was introducing heads of state. One by one, he announced all of our names with obvious pride in his voice, and it became really an emotional moment for me and my crew, he says. When he came to my name, He didn't talk about the few navigation skills I had 
or the zigzag course that I took. He didn't tell everyone I didn't know which way was was true north or about all my other mess-ups along the way. Instead, he just welcomed me in from the adventure like a proud father would. When he was done, there was a pause, and then in a sincere voice, his last words to the crew were these. Friends, it's been a long trip. Welcome home. Because of the way he said it, he writes, we all welled up with tears and fought back our tears. He w- I wiped my eyes as I reflected in the moment about the uncertainty about the long journey, all the sloppy sails and how little I knew, but none of that mattered because we had completed the race. Bob concluded by writing, I've always thought that heaven might be kind of a similar experience. After we each cross the finish line in our own lives, I imagine it will be like floating into the Hawaiian marina when our names were announced one by one. At the end of our lives, after our many mistakes and mid-course corrections, our zigzag course and mess-ups, our loving Heavenly Father will simply say, Son, daughter, it's been a long trip. Welcome home. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. And I ask you to use it in our lives. Strengthen us and nourish us and encourage us on this long journey that we call the Christian life. In Jesus' name, amen.